So I'm about to ask two questions. The first question is this. If you could live anywhere else in the world besides Sydney, where would you live? Iceland. Iceland. <laughs> Tasmania. I don't know why, but yeah, we'll skip that answer. So anybody besides Iceland and Tasmania? Copenhagen. Copenhagen. Sorry? Well, I can't, sorry. Heaven, oh, well, that's a good answer there. There's the, less, the least likeliest person who hit my car. Anybody else? Greece, that's kind of like heaven almost, isn't it? Where else? Sorry? Armenia. Armenia. Who else was? Iran. Very exotic locations. Anybody else? Where would you like to live? Anywhere else? Yeah, of course, in, in South America, beautiful place. Never been, but would like to go. Anywhere else? Canada. Canada. Another cold place, but beautiful, beautiful part of the world. Anybody else brave enough? Anybody else? Where was that? Philippines. Philippines. Yeah. Notice nobody said America. <laughs> very surprised about that. But we all have places that we would like to live besides Sydney. Right? Even if Sydney's your first preference, you say that I could live here if I wanted to. I could live there if I wanted to. Nobody said Queensland. We love our neighbours to the border, but you know, not at origin time. But can I ask the second question? What attracts you to these places that you would like to live? What was that? Family. So you might like to live in these places because of family. What else might attract you to these areas? Weather, yes. Beaches, yeah. Chris, take Steph to the beaches this year. What else might, what else might draw you and attract you to these places? Peace. Peace? And, and, and I, and I recognise the voice that came from. That person was really saying, I just want to get as far away from my kids as possible. <laughs> Don't worry, school returns in a few weeks. What else might attract you to these places? Food. The food. Why would you want to go anywhere from Parks except from Parkside for the food? Yeah. We, have, we are a desirable place to live here in Parkside because we've got all the facilities you need plus we've got great food. But there are many reasons and many places that we would want to live. And often we see and we look at these places and we think that these places can give us more happiness than what we have in our current state. And sometimes we look at these places and we think that these places have more things that will give me happiness. Maybe there are better jobs where I would like to live. Maybe my family is there. Maybe there are circumstances that I'm leaving behind. Maybe there are great schools there for my kids. Maybe there are a lot more social activities, beautiful weather, beaches. All of these things we like to orientate ourselves around, things that are going to make us happy in life. And people have always wanted to be in areas and places that will make them happier. And the sad and the troubling thing that we struggle with at times in life is not that we can't be happy, but it's that we don't necessarily know what the sources of true happiness are. Or sometimes the very things that make us happy sometimes are the very things that also make us sad. We love our, lo our loved ones and we have many great moments with them, but we are sad when they depart us. Your 
grateful and you're happy when that new baby is born, but then you know at the same time there's going to be the, the harshness of having to wake up at two and three in the, moment, in the mornings to change diapers. You're also unhappy when they become teenagers and they give you all the, the misery that comes with that. Sometimes your job can be a great source of blessing and happiness for you, but then there are times where your job is just painful and it can give you misery. It's what we call Mondays. And sometimes the pursuit of happiness brings us things that we think will make us happy, but eventually they actually are not as good as we thought they would be. Solomon wrote, better to live on a corner of the roof than share a house with a quarrelsome wife or a quarrelsome husband or quarrelsome teenagers. Sometimes the things that make us happy also deprive us of our happiness. And yes, we know that money can't make us happy. That's why when we look out into the world and we see so many people who are rich, maybe even in your own life you might have financial security but you lack happiness. Suicide is most prevalent actually amongst professions that own the most money. We know that the pursuit of money doesn't bring us happiness, but we also know that money does buy us things that do add value to our happiness. So today as we talk about the pathway to happiness and the pathway for the new year, 2020, what are the questions, what are the answers that we're going to come up with? What are the things that we're going to say this is going to be the thing that's going to make me happy this year. These are the treasures that are going to help me to be happy this year. Paul is writing in the passage that we're exploring today to the church in Philippi, the book of Philippians. And this letter is often called the letter of joy. 14 times Paul talks about joy and happiness. Only Luke mentions happiness more than Paul does in this letter. 14 times in just four small chapters. And when we talk about the concept of happiness, it was so integral to the Bible. The book of Psalms starts off with this phrase, Bless, Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked, or stand in the way that sinners take, or sit in the company of mockers. That word blessed could also be translated to happy. In other words, the longest book of the Bible starts off with the very word happy. Jesus, when he gave that famous Sermon on the Mount, when he said, Blessed, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. That word blessed also means happy. So happiness was very much on the mind of the biblical writers, just like joy and happiness is very much on the mind of Paul when he wrote to the church. And I want you to know something incredible about this church. Though Paul wrote to them in the midst of one of the hardest moments of his life, in the midst of his imprisonment, in the midst of a moment where he knew that any day now he was going to be beheaded and put to death for Christ, he didn't mourn, he didn't lament, but he celebrated with this community. He celebrated with them. He was happy in this letter. He was joyful in this letter. And why not? Philippi was a beautiful place to live. Philippi was beautiful. It had many beaches up in the north of Greece. They had low taxes in Philippi. The two most expensive taxes that anybody could pay in the ancient world. 
the poll tax on the amount of people in your house and land tax. This community was exempt from paying for it. They didn't have to pay for it at all. This had young families, a lot of retirees, people who the government gave big plots of land to to thank them for their service. Great, great way of life the people had. These people were the happiest people in the world. If you wanted to live anywhere, this was the place to live. Great infrastructure. People retired, could celebrate amongst other retirees. Great health system. Beautiful, happy was Philippi. If we were speaking in an ancient world, we were saying, and I asked the question, where would you want to live? Everybody would say, we want to live in Philippi. And Paul celebrates with them in their happiness. He says, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, any comfort from His love, if any common sharing in the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then take my joy, then make my joy complete. That's what Paul says. You have so much beauty around you, but most importantly, you are united with Christ. There is nothing that's going to take you away from that. And he says, make your joy, make your happiness complete. Yes, friends, maybe things aren't the best for you. Maybe the life you're living isn't bringing you the most happiness and the greatest satisfaction that it could. But I am going to say to you today, the good news is that your joy can still be complete. Even if your career is not the best, even if your family situation is not the best, even if the weather is not the best, even if our nation is not the best, your joy and your happiness can still be complete. Your joy and your happiness can still be complete if you will only adopt the same mind that Christ had for himself. And I want to say to you today that the first thing the first thing we need on the pathway to happiness is to redefine what happiness is. We need to redefine what happiness is. Because you see, when we talk about happiness, we are quick to list all of the things that are going to make us happy. A new car, the latest phone, the best relationship, the best job, more money in the bank account. We're quick to list the properties of what make us happy. But what we need to stop doing is listing the properties that will make us happy and instead look to the things that Christ says ought to make you happy. Instead of the things of this world, the things from above that ought to make us happy. You see, when Paul talked to these people about joy, he didn't say to them, your circumstances are great, you have all the beauty of the region around you, you can retire, you have wealth. He spoke to them only of Jesus. I don't know if you've paid close attention, but Jesus does a lot of redefinition in the Bible when he preaches. He says things like, you have heard it said, do not murder, but I say to you. In other words, this is how you define murder, but this is how I define murder. He says, you have heard it said, do not commit adultery, but I tell you that anyone who looks at someone with lust in their heart is guilty of adultery. In other words, this is how you define adultery, but this is how I define it. Jesus redefined love. He says, you have heard it said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy, but I tell you. In other words, this is how you define things. This is how I define them. 
He redefined the nature of leadership. You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them and their high officials, exercising authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to be great among you must first be your servant. In other words, this is how you define leadership. This is what Jesus says, how I define leadership. Jesus redefined the nature of power. He redefined the nature of power at the most critical time of his life when they came to arrest him. He said to Peter, Do you think I cannot call on my father and he will at once put at my disposal more than 12 legions of angels? In other words, Peter, this is what you think power looks like. This is how I redefine power. Jesus redefined the nature of wealth. Jesus says, do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and vermin do not destroy. Could you imagine a bank redefining the nature of wealth by putting that as their slogan? Jesus redefines the nature of happiness. And in the mixed up world that Paul lived in, he took this very redefinition and he turned it on his head and he communicated this message to this church in what is known powerfully as the Christ hymn. This was a song that we would sing at worship time in the ancient world. This is what he says. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ, Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider his equality with God something to use for his own advantage. In other words, what what Paul says is the thing that will make you happy is instead of using the very things that you use to your own advantage to draw wealth and happiness, he says, imitate Christ. Christ did not use his equality with God, his divine ship, to make himself happy. Jesus could have entered this world in the greatest power, the greatest majesty. He could have rolled into the streets of Jerusalem with an Aston Martin. He could have rolled into the streets of Jerusalem with a parade of nations singing glorious hymns to him. But no, instead of doing the very things that we would have done in Jesus' position to make ourselves happy, Jesus did the very opposite. Jesus could have built the perfect family. Every time somebody sneezed in his family, he could have healed them. He could have filled his bank account. He could have surrounded himself with the beautiful entourage of people who instead of fighting just listened and obeyed him everything that he wanted. Jesus could have used his status as God to build the greatest kingdom, the greatest empire on earth just for his glory and just for his pleasure. He could have done all of that. That's what we would have done. That's how we would have exercised power and authority. We would, have, we would surround ourselves with thousands, millions of followers on Facebook. We would change everybody's opinions to suit our own. Jesus could have done all of that. Instead, what Paul says is rather he made himself nothing. By taking the very nature of a servant in being found in appearance as man, he humbled himself. And by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. You know what Paul is saying? He's saying what made Jesus happy was becoming a servant. What made Jesus happy was not riches. It was humility. That's what made Jesus happy. 
Happiness no longer looks like the gold sitting in a bank account is what Paul is saying. Happiness no longer looks like the family free from argument. What Paul says happiness looks like is Jesus crucified on a cross. You want to be happy. I want to be happy. But the definition of happiness has changed. The definition of happiness is the cross that we pick up and we follow in the footsteps of Jesus. Do you follow? That's what true happiness looks like. That's what Paul is saying. The game that we've been playing has been changed. The rules have been flipped on its head. Happiness is a man beaten and flogged and crucified to a cross. That's what true happiness looks like. That's what the authentic happiness looks like. We can, friends, we can continue looking for happiness in other places. But the definition of happiness in God's dictionary is the cross of Jesus. Do you know that in the ancient world, humility was not a good thing? Humility was a very, very bad quality to have. You know, when we look at sporting professionals and we're drawn to them, why are we drawn to winners? Not just because of they win, but because of their attitude. Because of the way that they celebrate their victory humbly. And we're just turned off people. It doesn't matter how good they are at something, but if they're arrogant and if they're prideful, we're turned off them, aren't we? Are we not? We don't want to be like them. Do you know why we think that way? We think that way because of Jesus. Any historian would tell you that the ancient people didn't value humility. They wanted people who boasted about their success. They wanted people who boasted about how happy and how good they were. This is the first time in the ancient world that anybody has spoken about humility as being a good quality. Jesus changed the way that we understand humility because he, being in very nature God, though he didn't use that to his advantage, he came as a humble servant. That is the redefinition that we have to pattern our lives upon. That is what true happiness looks like. The cross, the path of the person who's suffering. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Happy are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God, is what Jesus said. The second thing we have to do, if happiness is now redefined, we have to shape our happiness on the very things that make God happy. We have to shape our happiness on the things that make God happy. Notice what Paul says. He says, I have all I need and more. Now that I have received your gifts. He says this in the midst of his prison cell. I have all that I need and more now because you have given me these gifts. Why were these gifts so pleasing to Paul? Because Paul knew that these people's generosity were what? They are a sweet-smelling aroma, an acceptable sacrifice, well-pleasing to the Lord. The things that ought to be our sources of happiness should be the things that are sweet, pleasing aromas to the Lord. In every aspect of your life, if something brings you happiness but does not bring happiness to God, you need to remove that from your life. Think about the short-term pleasure of pornography. Short-term happiness brings dishappiness to God. But what about the life of somebody, poor, miserable, 
but still living a faithful life that is bringing happiness and an aroma pleasing to God. God looking down on our lives and saying that this humble servant, this servant who does not live for themselves, they are bringing me happiness through their humble life, through the way that they live. Again, notice what Paul says. Jesus humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Many of us would gladly give up our lives for the Lord, but Jesus did it even in the most torturous way possible. You and I must surrender what we value most over to God. That is the only way we can have true happiness. Looking and reflecting deep down into my life and asking the question, God, what is the very thing that makes me happiest the most? And I will surrender that to you, God. This is what Jesus did. Perfect, holy unity with the Father. Perfect world in heaven. Angels singing his praise. His happiness with the Father and with the Spirit was what Jesus valued most. Yet, he surrendered that to God. He surrendered that to God and became obedient. Obedient to death. What do you and I value most in life? For where your treasure is, as Jesus says, there your heart will lie as well. What do you value most? Is it money that brings you the most happiness? Is it family that brings you the most happiness? Is it peace of mind that brings you the most happiness? Is it knowing that you're going to go overseas for a holiday at some point in this year? You can only have true happiness if you surrender what you value most over to God. That's what Jesus did. If you ever read the Harry Potter series, and I know there are some people getting a little bit uncomfortable here, but just bear with me for one moment. There is a magical artifact in the Harry Potter universe called the Mirror of Erised. Erised is just the word desire spelt backwards. When you looked in the Mirror of Erised, you saw the thing that you value most. So young Harry, the orphan boy who never met his parents, looked into the mirror and saw his mum and dad holding him as a baby, smiling back at him. Ron Weasley, who wanted admiration, the youngest son wanted admiration, looked in there and saw crowds of people cheering and respecting him as he achieved the greatest feat in the school's history. What do you value most when you look into the mirror? What do you value most? If what you value most and what I value most when I look in the mirror is not the reflection of Jesus, then something is wrong, is it not? But what we desire most is where our true happiness lies. If Jesus is truly your world, if he is truly my saviour and my Lord, the only one who brings me happiness, when I look in the mirror, he is the reflection I ought to see. For that will be where I will have true happiness. But when we ask the question of, God, do you actually care about my happiness? Do you actually care about what matters most to me and the things that are going to make me happy? I think about the story about the most, one of the most famous musicians, Roy Orbison. One of the most famous musicians of the last hundred years. Roy Orbison, the man that Elvis Presley said has the greatest voice on earth. And you're probably thinking, Jason, what are you talking about Roy Orbison? Why don't you talk about Justin Bieber? 
But Roy Orbison, despite all of his success, he lost his wife, Claudette, to a motorcycle accident. A few years later, he was telling a joke with one of his producers. His house had beautiful water flowing like a, like a waterfall. And he told a joke and he said to him, he said that if my house burnt down, I wouldn't need the fire brigade because I would just have the water flow to put out the water. Little did Roy know at that very moment, his two sons died in that house fire, in his house at that very moment. A few years later, Roy had tri a triple bypass. You see, he is the modern Job because think about what was taken from him, his health, his wife, his kids, his music career really suffered during this period. Does God really care about our happiness? What does the cross tell you? Of course God, of course God cares about our happiness. But do you care about the happiness of the Lord? Take delight in the Lord and He will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your ways to the Lord. Trust in Him and He will do this. I just want to close with this short story. Katie was a young university girl in New Mexico. She went to the University of New Mexico. And one day, she had a fight with her partner, Joe, because she saw her partner, Joe, kissing another girl in the party. So Katie, having been a little bit drunk, leaves the party. And in that moment, she doesn't get home. Somebody abducts her, rapes her, strangles her, and then dumps her body in a landfill. After a few days, eventually the police find her body, and her father has to go from his home state to New Mexico to identify the body. And when that sheet was pulled down and he saw the way that this criminal had burnt Katie's body, he almost collapsed just because he couldn't believe it. And I remember hearing the interview of Katie's mum. Katie's mum was sitting and there was a cross in the background. And Katie's mum said, no father should have to look upon their child in this position. Burnt, strangled, beaten, abused. No father should have to look upon their child in this position. Do you know that the father God had to look upon the beaten and destroyed body of Jesus, his son? And do you know that in the ancient world that sometimes they would actually light the bodies of crucified victims on fire? God the Father had to look upon His righteous and holy Son crucified and beaten. Something no father should have to do. Look upon His poor, innocent, defenseless child. And do you know the incredible thing about this? Did you know that that actually brought the Father happiness? It brought the father happiness to look upon his son in this dismantled way. If you don't believe me, read what Isaiah had to say. You see, when Paul says, Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name above all names, at the very name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and under earth, and under, um, every knee should bow in heaven and on the earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Paul is citing from the book of Isaiah. You see, Isaiah says, By myself I have sworn, my mouth has uttered in all integrity a word that will not be removed. Before me every knee will bow, by me every tongue will swear. 
And just a few chapters later, Isaiah writes, For the transgressions of my people he was stricken, and they made his grave with the wicked, but with the rich, but with the rich at his death, because he had done no violence, nor was there any deceit in his mouth. And then this is what he says. Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. In other words, it made the Lord happy to look upon his son in this crucified position. And then it goes on to talk about the one who was suffering, where it says, after he has suffered, he will see the light of life and be satisfied. Which one of you would see the light after your crucifixion and be happy? But no, it says that this crucifixion brought happiness to God the Father and it brought happiness to God the Son, the stricken one. How could this event, this cross, bring happiness to God? It brought happiness to God because the very thing that God valued most would be achieved through this death. And that was relationship and restoration with you and I. It brought pleasure and happiness to God that His Son was faithful, that His Son walked the pathway to true happiness, even though that pathway led to the cross, to His humiliating death. It brought pleasure and happiness to God the Father and God the Son to go through this because it brought unity to us. How selfless, how humble is our God to redefine and change the nature of happiness, will you and I walk that same pathway to true happiness? That same pathway that leads to the cross. The cross where Jesus was exalted and given the name above all other names. That at His name, you and I will bow in complete happiness, in worship to Jesus. This is the true and only pathway to happiness. Father, we thank you, Lord, that you have changed the nature of what it means to be happy, Lord, that we don't need to seek pleasure in other things, Lord, but that happiness comes only through a vibrant relationship with you, Lord. And I pray that each and every one of us will live that relationship authentically. Lord, take all of the things, Lord, that myself and your people, Lord, have in our lives that are not bringing you happiness and are not bringing you pleasure, Lord. And we submit them before the cross, Lord, of Jesus. Send your Spirit upon us, Lord, to transform our hearts, Lord. Give us the true peace and the true happiness that comes only in your name. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.